today is even more of a special Sunday um, because we have uh, a great um, guest preacher for us. Um, and, uh, you know, I could do this long introduction, and I, I will uh, do a long introduction. Um, but uh, Pastor Ben Spalink, uh, Ben is, uh, he's my friend from book club. <laughs> kind of. We have a book club. I'm part of a book club. It's a lot of fun. And uh, he's my friend from book club. Um, but uh, he's much more than that. Um, ben grew up in Tokyo. Um, and he attended a Christian academy outside of uh, Japan. And when he came back to the U.S., uh, he's been doing ministry in New York City for, I guess it's what, 13 years now? 13 years, yeah, for Ben in New York City. He's the lead pastor of City Grace. And if you guys... Uh, are wondering, you remember Dave Choi, our brother who, who led our worship? Um, we, our missions committee sent him over to New York City because he had a conviction in his heart to do worship in the city, and he's been uh, leading worship at City Grace. And um, Ben's been leading City Grace uh, faithfully, and we know a lot of brothers and sisters from there. I met Ben through Pastor John. Um, even before um, the book club. And we've had some great conversations about the kingdom of God together. We keep having uh, good conversations. We just had another one right before the service. Um, and each time that I have conversations with Ben, the thing that encourages me is his heart for the kingdom. Not just for his church, but for the kingdom of God. And he's thinking about the kingdom, and that's very encouraging uh, to me. Um, his church recently decided... Um, to journey with another church and maybe merge together uh, with a Chinese uh, church together. And, you know, I don't need to tell you, that's a very difficult feat. And that's also very hard to do when you're the lead pastor of a church. And yet Ben has humbly decided to do that for the sake of the kingdom. That should tell you a lot about um, this brother. Um, and his level of passion for the kingdom of God um, is always an encouragement to me. Um, and today... Uh, he's graciously given his time uh, to bring us God's word. So let's welcome Pastor Ben. All right. Good morning, everyone. So good to see all of you. It's a, a, a big privilege and an honor to be here. And uh, yeah, get it off, fogging up here. Um, Dave, Pastor Dave, you're so kind in your, in your introduction, so thank you so much. And it's been a, a privilege to get to know you as well. And I've heard um, from Pastor John so many great things about Mosaic Church and your heart for missions and your passion for the Lord. So it's really, I'm excited to be here and um, just to see what God's doing um, in this congregation. And um, also, ever since COVID, I think this is the first time I've actually been in a church other than my own. So it's good to see that that whole like rigmarole before... Uh, yeah, the whole, the whole rigmarole before, you know, getting set up with all the tech stuff, um, they didn't teach, a, teach us about this in seminary, and so it's like we all had to get a master's degree in, um, you know, technology and communications. Is it, is it coming through okay? Yeah? Put it closer. Okay, there we go. All right. How's that? Okay. So, so yeah, it's a privilege and honor to be here, and uh, thanks for having me. Um, so I want to talk, I want to challenge us today on rethinking the church, and it's my conviction that um, ever since COVID came about, that we as um, not just, you know, individual churches, but just Christians as a whole, uh, we, we have an opportunity and a chance to kind of rethink some things 
Um, COVID has laid us bare in a lot of ways. A lot of churches have closed their doors. A lot of churches closed their doors because of COVID. They're not going to open back up because the congregations are just disintegrating. Um, I've heard, I read on a blog somewhere that um, one pastor was concerned that his congregation had, had gone on religious hibernation. And in some respects, I think, um, you know, this entire thing that is happening is, is revealing just how kind of dependent we are on the services that a church provides. And I think part of what God is challenging us to is just to recover worship, not only as something that happens once a week on Sunday morning, but to bring worship back into the home. And that every, every home is a church. And you, church is not a place you go to, but we are the body of Christ. And worship is not just something that we do um, once a week together, but all of our lives are meant to be worship. And, you know, I've been challenging my congregation repeatedly on uh, this idea that the, the priesthood of all believers and um, the, the understanding in the biblical, you know, in the Bible, there was no, there were no pastors per se. Um, there was no clergy and laity. And um, today in our day and age, you know, we have this professional class of people who are um, who are trained by seminary to be the pastors and everybody else to the quote unquote lay people. But that, that, that distinction between like clergy and lay, it's, it's not biblically rooted. I mean, it, it's helpful in a sense, and you do need people who are trained and who give their lives to the, to the cause of serving the church. But the, the fact is from a biblical perspective, like you are all priests. We are all priests. And there's um, a responsibility for every parent every friend that we are able to go to scripture and to, to, to see how God's leading us and to, to learn from the Bible, to be following Christ in our daily lives, to be able to minister to each other. This, should, this shouldn't be something that we're so dependent on a, a weekly service to be able to, um, to get. But you know what? I've completely run ahead of myself and I forgot even to read the text. I was so excited. And I just dove right in and I got all intense on you all fast. So I apologize for that. So let's take a, a step back here a minute, and we're going to go to Revelation chapter 3. I'll pray, and then um, I'll just share a little bit about how God's put it in my heart, um, that some things that we need to rethink in, in terms of what, what is church about. That, that's sort of the, the theme today, getting back on mission, the church getting back on mission. So Revelation chapter 3, starting at verse 7. I'm sorry, starting at verse 14. It says, the, to the church in Laodicea. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy for me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich, and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness, and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love I rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person, and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So let me just um, pray for us a minute this morning. Our dear Heavenly Father, 
each one of us that's here today and everybody that's listening virtually, Lord, we want to hear a word from you. We want to know what you're speaking to our hearts, how you're convicting us, how you're leading us, how you're teaching us, and how you're guiding us. And so, Lord, as we approach your word today, as we think about the letter to the church in Laodicea, as we look at other parts of scripture as well, I pray for your Holy Spirit to be alive and to be active and to be speaking, to be convicting hearts, to be teaching us. What does repentance look like for us as individuals? What does repentance look like for us as a church so that we can be useful to you, so that we can be a church that's on your mission and doing your business in the world. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So um, two summers ago, I actually had the privilege of going with missionary Brian Lee on the Silk Road Prayer March. So I think some of you probably have heard about that because um, you know Mike Moon, who's Dan's brother, uh, he was on that trip and I had a, had a chance to get to know him a little bit. And Dave Choi was on that trip as well. And I got to spend a lot of time with him and it was really, really incredible. Uh, we, we landed in Turkey and we just saw God doing amazing things like practically every single day. There were healings, there were miracles, there were like these coincidences, which we just knew were not coincidences. But yeah, getting to know David was awesome. And uh, we at one point got to sneak off and we jumped into the Mediterranean Ocean and we're swimming and it was fantastic. And um, man, David is such a spirit-filled worship leader and we're, eternally grateful to, to you guys for blessing him and releasing him to come. He's been a huge, huge blessing to us, and I'm sure you miss him a lot. Um, not only is he leading worship for us every week, but also on Sunday mornings, like really early at 7 a.m., he's leading worship in Times Square, and they're, they're prayer marching through Times Square, and we're just lifting up the city to God, and he's been so faithful. So um, I just wanted to let you know, yeah, that God's really using him in, in a powerful way. And uh, it's been great to get to know him and to, to be worshiping with him and to doing ministry with him. Anyway, so we're in Turkey. And uh, as we're in Turkey, you know, we were reflecting on this passage in Revelation. And I realized that in a way that I had al always gotten the, um, the story wrong in this particular part of Revelation. Because I, I had thought that um, when, when God was saying to the church that uh, they are not to be lukewarm... Um, that that meant that they needed to um, improve their level of passion. I, I thought the problem with the church was that they didn't have enough zeal. And so that what they needed to do is they really needed to get serious about following God and they, they needed to be more zealous. But I learned that actually it doesn't have anything to do with zeal, that that's not what's being talked about here. So the thing about Turkey and, you know, we're traveling through Turkey. It's like 90 degrees. It's 100 degrees. And it was extremely, extremely hot while we were there. And you need a lot of water in order to be able to, to keep up with, with the touring and stuff like that. We were in Ephesus and we were, we were in different places. And so actually, when, when it talks about being hot or cold, what the scripture is really talking about is the church that God wants to be useful to him. Because the thing with being in a climate like that is hot water has a purpose and cold water has a purpose. So you could use hot water for cleaning things. You could use hot water for taking a bath. You could use hot water, boiling water for cooking. Or if you're in an extremely hot climate, you can use cold water because cold water is going to keep you hydrated so that you can handle the heat. But the thing that, that you really has no useful purpose uh, in a place like Turkey, and that's that, you know, the, church, the, the letter to the church in Laodicea, that's, the, that's in Turkey. The thing about lukewarm water is it doesn't have a purpose. 
it's not useful for anything. And so that's why Jesus says, I wish you were hot. I wish you were cold. I wish you were one or the other because both the hot water and the cold water has a purpose, but lukewarm water has no purpose. There's nothing you can, you don't want to drink it. You're not going to cook with it. It's not going to help you. It's not refreshing. So Jesus says, if you're lukewarm, I'm going to spit you out. And so the problem with the church in Laodicea, as it's revealed in this letter, is that they were a very wealthy church. And it was a church that they felt like, well, we have everything we need. And, you know, we're very wealthy and all our needs are met and we're independent. And, and Jesus says to them, you think you're wealthy. You think you have everything you need. But don't you realize that, that you're poor and that you're naked and that you're blind and you can't even see. And you don't realize how desperate for Christ you are. And the, the issue with the church there is it, it was a matter of usefulness. That somehow in their wealth and in their privilege and in their comfortability, that they had as a, as a congregation in that, in that day and time, they had compromised too much to adapt to the culture so that they weren't being useful to God. And, and so the, the challenge, you know, to us today, and, you know, we live on the East Coast and we're in a very, very um, wealthy part of the country in a very wealthy county. And I live on the Upper East Side and that, you know, that's an incredibly wealthy place as well. I mean, United, the, the church in the United States um, falls into the same category of being very comfortable, being very wealthy about having everything we need. And the, the danger with the church being wealthy and being so comfortable is that oftentimes following Jesus ends up being a kind of liability. That, that when we're comfortable and when we're wealthy, we really want to just look good and we want to fit in. We want to adapt to the culture, but we certainly you know, don't want to be risking our reputation. We don't want to be putting ourselves in awkward situations. We want to kind of stay respectable. I mean, I, I'm driving around in a, in a Honda Pilot and I think that, you know, there's probably some people here that like you'd kind of be embarrassed to show up to a family gathering in a Honda Pilot because it's like it's not a BMW or it's not a Mercedes. I mean, we're so focused on appearance as wealthy people. We, we so want to like ha have the, you know, to come across as as put together and. The thing with, with being like really poor is you don't care about that stuff. Be, you know, when you're really poor, kind of everything is on the line and you, you just are trying to survive. And, and when you're in a, when you're a church that's desperate and when you're a church that realizes like how badly you need what God has to offer, you're not worried about keeping up appearances. And so Jesus is saying to the church, you're not useful to me because you're not essentially on mission that you've accommodated to the culture. Instead of standing up against the culture, you're trying too hard to fit in. And so the church is not useful. And so the challenge that I, wanna, I want us to think about today, and I, I believe that the whole COVID you know, situation with churches closing and having to reinvent everything we're doing, and your, you know, your Sunday school teachers are probably like figuring out how to be YouTube stars because everything is on YouTube and, you know, we could just try to fix everything. We could try to put everything online. Or we could like take a pause and say, you know, what is, what is this that we're doing? Not only with church, but like with your life. What are we really doing? And, and what is church really about? And, and my, my thing today, my, my point today is that when it comes to rethinking church, and I believe COVID is like the best opportunity that we've ever had in our lifetime to, to get back to the basics and to rethink what this is all about, the church is about being on mission. That is the purpose. That is why we're here. 
is for us to be on mission. And so I want to take some time and just to think about what that looks like. And I believe that it's going to challenge us on primarily three areas. First of all, that we are being called to be missional, not just mission focused. So we're being called to be missional. So what does that mean? What am I talking about? Um, And in the church in the West, when we think about missions, probably the very first place that we go to in our minds is we go to third, you know, third culture, um, sending people on foreign missions. When we think about what it means to be on mission, we think about sending missionaries to other places. So let me just read um, from Acts chapter 1, verses 7, 8. I want to I take a closer look at this. So he said to them, This is Jesus speaking to the apostles. He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the dates that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And if you look very closely at verse 8, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. They're in Jerusalem. That's... That's like home base. So he says, you'll be witnesses in the place where you are, your hometown, your home community. That's where they are. And then he says, you'll be witnesses in Judea. So Judea is like kind of the county, right? It's their neighborhood. It's, It's their town. But then he says, you'll also be witnesses in Samaria. Now, Samaria is still part of Palestine, but it's, it's like just north of there. But the thing is, Samaria is a little bit icky. Right, you kind of got to cross the river to get to Samaria. And there's people there that maybe we don't really want to hang out with. There's people there that we don't really want to associate with. But he says, you're going to be my witnesses there too. And you're going to be my witnesses to the very ends of the earth. And I think that we, we like and we're very comfortable with sending missionaries to foreign countries. But sometimes we lose the Jerusalem, the Judea, and the Samaria part of what it means to be on mission because he didn't just say I'll send you to the ends of the earth but I'll also send you to Judea I'll send you to your family I'll send you to your cousins I'll send you to your your the people that you work with right I'll send you to Jerusalem your own community that we need to be on mission there and then I'll also send you to Judea so that's the county Bergen County for for you all right so what, what would it look like for, for you to be thinking of a church that we're on mission, not just sending missionaries to foreign country, which is good and we have to do that. But is it possible there's a, there's a 1040 window right here in Bergen County, right? I mean, how many people are in an evangelical Bible-believing church? I, I, I just looked up real briefly and I found that in Bergen County that there's something like 40% of, of folks here don't identify as any religion and 50% are, are Catholic. Now, I don't know. I love Catholics. I don't know what you think about Catholics, but my guess would be that if Catholics are anything the way Christians are, that there's a whole lot of Catholics that need to be evangelized as well, right? So you have a 1040 window that is like right in your backyard. And are we as a church thinking about our Jerusalem? Are we thinking about our Judea? Are we thinking about our Samaria? What's Samaria? Maybe like Passaic County? Um, Or maybe it's like crossing that that scary river to go into New York City, like the people over there just east of us, like this entire huge, you know, metropolis of, of people with needs. And so we, we need to be rethinking mission, not just sending missionaries, but being on mission in the very places where God has put us. And if, you know, if you think about it, what is the, one of the greatest metaphors that 
Jesus uses for, for being a witness, he says you're going to be a, a, a light on a hill. And my question to you is, well, where does the light shine brightest? Does the light shine brightest, like, far away? Or isn't it the case that as you approach the light, that the light gets brighter and brighter? Like, I got the spotlight, like, right in my face because I'm, like, right in front of it. It's very, very bright. And so if that's the case, then wouldn't it also make sense that if we're, if we're willing as a church to send missionaries to foreign countries, that the light of Christ is shining extremely, extremely bright and vivid right in the place where God has put us. And I'm, I'm not saying this to, um, to, to pick on Mosaic Church because, you know, I'm a Christian Reformed minister and the Christian Reformed Church in North America, the CRC, like we love missions. And um, there are churches that once a year, they, they like line the entire sanctuary with international flags and they celebrate like every church is like supporting a dozen different missionaries to all different kinds of countries and stuff. But if you ask the church, okay, well, you're sending all these missionaries all over the world, but what are you, what are you doing to like reach the, the people that are right across the street from you? They're, they're like, well, we don't really do that. That's not what missions is for us. So maybe some of you come back at me and say, well, the Great Commission didn't Jesus in the Great Commission say that we were supposed to send missionary, we were supposed to go, right, to the world? And so we could look at the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28, verse, 20, verse 19. This is what Jesus says. He says, literally, if you translate it literally, he say, as you go, make disciples of all nations. So most translations say, go therefore into all the world and make disciples of all nations. But that word for go is actually in the present ongoing tense. And so if you translate it literally, what Jesus is really saying, as you go, as you go. So he's not necessarily saying to you, you need to go to a foreign country. He's saying, as you go. In other words, as you live your life, as you go about doing whatever it is you do, as you go about working, as you go about parenting, as you go about little league, you know, as you go shopping, as you go, wherever you go. Like the whole going into all nations thing is assumed. He assumes the church will spread out. That's going to happen. But as you go, as you go, make disciples of all nations. So trying to, to get to this idea of what does it mean to be missional? How do we define that? And I would um, define being missional as being a participant in the expansion of Jesus's kingdom. And I believe this season is a season for the church and for individuals, I'm speaking to individual believers now, to embrace that word missional. It's, a, it's, a, it, it's kind of a buzzword, I know, you know, you hear a lot about missional this, missional that, missional seminaries, but I think it's a really important word. And I, I think the reason that word missional is important is because it identifies what is lacking in a lot of churches, and that is this idea of sentness. This idea that you, just the regular average church person, right, that is a part of this community that's following Jesus, that you yourself see your life from a missional perspective, that you are a sent person, and that every single Christian, every single individual, every single believer, we all have this 
I hate to say responsibility because it makes it sound so duty-driven, but just part of what it means to be following Christ in this world and experiencing his love and experiencing his grace is then realizing that we all have a role in seeing the kingdom come in greater fullness as you go, wherever it is that, that we're being sent. Now, there are probably some of you here where, right, right now, or maybe you're, you're watching on YouTube and you're like, oh great, so now this pastor is telling us that like it's not enough for me to do my job, it's not enough for me to do go to church now I have to like do this extra missional thing and like what if your job may you know are there any of you here that are like therapists or you're in medicine and you're taking care of people all day long already show show of hands any any medical people any teachers we got a couple teachers so my guess is that if you're a teacher and you're giving your life for students and you hear a pastor say now you have to be missional as well that you're like Oh my goodness, this is so exhausting. There's more stuff that I have to do, more guilt, more shame, because now, like, I'm already giving my life for students. I'm already taking care of people all day long. And now you're telling me that I have to be missional on top of that? So just take a quick, <laughs> take, a, take a deep breath. And I, I want to clarify a couple things. Because this whole concept of being missional is so important. I don't want for you to misunderstand it and think that it means one thing. And so you write off what I'm going to say, Okay. Being missional does not mean that if you're already working 50 hours a week for your job, that's very hard, that it means that you have to take on some additional project and go serve at a homeless shelter every week. Okay, that's not what I'm saying. Although maybe there are some people who that is exactly what God is leading them to do. And if that's, just, if that's true for you, then, that, then that's another story. But this is not about doing something extra. Being missional is not about the fact, like you're, as if your job is not enough and now you have to like embrace and do all kinds of other things, Okay. I am also, being missional is not suggesting that you have to share the gospel with every single person you meet. It is not suggesting that you have to like tell your barista about Jesus when he's working on your latte. Uh, being missional does not mean that you have to go to door to door in Bergen County. That probably wouldn't go over that well in Bergen County. People, well, if you're in Pennsylvania, you know, they might bring out a shotgun or something. Here they'd probably just like call the cops or something, I, I would guess. So, that's not what we're talking about when we say, say being missional. So I'm not, we're not suggesting that. Being missional means, I've already defined it, but let me try to flesh it out a minute. Being missional means that you realize that God is at work all around you all the time. It's not about doing things, really. It, I mean, to some extent it is, but being missional is about opening your eyes and realizing that God is at work around you all the time. God is at work in your mom's life. God is at work in your dad's life. That your barista who's making your latte. I don't know why I always look at Pastor Yosef when I talk about the lattes, but I look at Pastor Yosef. Do you like yates, lattes? He doesn't like lattes. <laughs> so I don't know. But it's recognizing that when you show up, right, that God's already there. God's already in your community. He's already working in the life of your friend. It's just a matter of connecting the dots and waking up and realizing that and then maybe looking for an opportunity where you could pitch in. You could partner with God. Listen, if you're a teacher and you're, you're spending your life pouring into students and you're trying so hard to be a good teacher, I would say being missional is, is realizing that God loves the students just like you do and that God's at work in their lives and in their families in ways that you can't even believe and maybe you can't see it. But you need to, being missional is about opening your eyes. 
And then realizing that if that's true, then it might just be that on a certain day, an opportunity presents itself and God opens a door and without even really having to do anything quote unquote extra, you could, you could minister to that person in a very powerful and effective way. It's about paying attention, right? It, it, it's a mindset. Because I know that when you're in the burbs and your lives are really busy and you have tons of stuff that you're trying to do all the time, if missional is a project, if it's an extra thing, it's not going to happen. What we're talking about, and this is one of the things that I've learned from Pastor John, because Pastor John is a master at like taking advantage of every opportunity. The guy is able to accomplish like five times as much as the average human being because he's isn't, right? Because he's so smart at like multitasking and connecting the dots. But that's sort of what I'm talking about is like being missional is realizing in the everyday routines of your lives, when you're with your friends, when you're at work, when you're teaching kids, whatever it is you're doing, there are missional opportunities presenting themselves all around you all the time. And it's just being willing to slow down enough to open your eyes to say, what is God doing here? And maybe he has a role for me to play in this person's life or at this company or whatever the case may be. Part of being missional is this mindset I'm talking about, right? It is realizing not only that God's there, that he was there before you got there, he's at work before you showed up. It's not all on you, right? So stop being so self-focused, but also realize, by the way, that if you're a believer, and if you have put your faith in Christ, then you, my friends, have the Holy Spirit with you wherever you go. And you are carrying around such a, a, an amazing, powerful, you know, thing, the, the, the presence of God, that when you show up in a certain place, then literally God is showing up in that place as well because you bring, you're bringing God with you. So that's part of missional, is realizing, you know, you might be having a bad day. You might feel like, oh, you know what, I'm not that great of a Christian. But the fact is, if you've put your faith in Christ, and you are, you've received the Spirit. You have the Spirit with you. And so wherever you go, wherever you go, when you show up, Jesus is showing up through you. He wants to show up through you. He's with you. And so there are opportunities around you all the time. Listen, so I live in this, I live in this apartment building in the Upper East Side, and um, I have a really, really chatty doorman. And uh, usually when I, get, when I get home, I just wanna, I, I, I wanna, I just wanna get up to my apartment. I don't feel like hanging out in the, uh, the foyer. I just wanna get home. But the thing is, you know, I, I felt convicted because the stuff that my doorman was talking to me about was like really interesting and it was really thoughtful and I could tell that he was, he was thinking about things. And, um, you know, he's, he's not a believer. He comes from an atheistic background. And I just, I felt like God saying, there's an opportunity right here and, and you walk right by every single day. Like, just stop and talk for a minute. Like, is it going to kill you to just spend two, <laughs> two minutes, <laughs> Pastor Ben, you know, slow down enough just to, to, to talk and engage? And so, so, I, so I did, and I, I got to know him, and he's super thoughtful, and he, he reads um, all kinds of philosophy and science. And I realized as I was talking to him, I'm like, oh my goodness, this guy is a total seeker. And what I mean by seeker is there are certain people that they're on this quest and they wouldn't call themselves a seeker. That's like very Christian language, right? But, but he's a seeker. He's like looking for meaning. He's looking for purpose. He's trying to figure out what life is about. And wouldn't I be remiss if I didn't engage that? And you don't have to be a pastor to engage that. I mean, 
you know, the, the average person in this church, I'm sure, is fully qualified to be able to say, talk about your experiences in the church and talk about what you believe. You don't have to be a, 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 a you know, you have to have a PhD in theology to just be able to engage people on a, on a, on a regular level and just open up your life to, uh, to, to somebody else. And so, you know, I, I got him a book and he's been reading the book. He's given me um, some gifts as well. And that's another thing with being missional as I, as I find that oftentimes if you're wanting to engage somebody on the level of, like, I'm totally going off on a tangent here, but if you want to in, invite somebody um, to engage you, that oftentimes they'll want you to engage them in what they're interested in. And that's something just to be mindful of. Uh, I can think of, you know, a, a Jewish guy that I was meeting with. This was like probably 12 years ago. And really, he was a, you know, he was a, he was a insurance salesman. And I wasn't interested in the in insurance at all. Um, maybe I should have been, but we, um, we got to talking and he, he's very interested. I was, of course, wanted to teach, teach him about the Bible and he wasn't really that interested in the Bible. 30 minutes, yikes. So um, he wasn't that interested in the Bible, but he wanted me to engage him in comics because he was really interested in comics. I didn't know anything about comics. And so he actually bought me a couple comics. And so I got to read up on like Green Lantern and I never really had any like comics fans here. There's not a single person here that is into comics, okay? So anyway, I had to, I learned about Green Lantern and that's, you know, that's, that's, that's the thing is um, when we want people to engage us missionally, we need to be willing to engage them. So we're talking about this idea of being missional and, and one thing that you can do would be to pray this very simple prayer and that is, Lord, help me to see where you want to bring grace, love, and healing into the world today and to support that. And I believe if you, if you prayed that prayer, if you are open to seeing your life from this missional perspective that God is gonna open doors for you and it won't be extra stuff, it'll be fun. It'll be um, amazing because you'll, you'll be able to see God's power manifesting and working through those things, okay? so. We are rethinking missions as not just supporting missionaries, but being on mission individually, but also being on mission as a church. And by the way, I will say that, you know, I in no way mean to criticize foreign missions. I think foreign missions is absolutely vital. And we are called to go to the ends of the earth. And the 1040 window is, is extremely important. I assume, you know, you know, you know what that is. I'm not going to go into it now, but it is important. And we need to be doing that. But God didn't only send us to the ends of the earth. He also sent us to Jerusalem, Judea, and to Samaria. And so are we as a church embracing that? Secondly, we need to rethink mission in terms of realizing that missions is, and being on mission is not just about inviting, but there is a, a going element as well. And one of my pet peeves is the way that this word outreach is oftentimes misused in Christian circles because we love to talk about outreach. We're going to do outreach. We're going to, we're, we're on outreach. We're, you know, and oftentimes what people mean when they say outreach is we will send out flyers. We will send out invitations. We will make Facebook ads. We'll put a nice big street uh, sign on, like if you have an outreach team, you know, we need to have a great um, billboard that's out so people driving by can see us and we'll say, you know, we're a friendly church. Welcome to our church. And 
and you're always invited here and you're always welcome here, but the, the kind of default understanding and thinking behind a lot of outreach is we're just going to like go out enough to be able to get the word out because what we really want is for, for you to come to us. And so outreach ends up not actually, there's not that much out in outreach, but rather it's just we go out enough, but the, the responsibility at the end of the day is on the other person to do the hard work of coming to us. And the thing is, <laughs> coming, for, for, especially for a non-believing person, to walk into a church is the strangest and most awkward and, and, and frightening experience that most non-Christians will ever have. Because it's all so weird. So when we, we're, you know, I grew up in the church. Many of you grew up in the church. You have no idea how weird everything is that, you know, up until COVID, there's all this hugging and there's all this sitting and standing and there's the passing of the peace and confessing our sins and I don't even know what sin is and everybody seems to like be in on some sort of secret code. But like we have no problem opening the doors. We'll open the doors, but we still at the end of the day, we want them to come to us. And so maybe, just maybe, with COVID and the doors being closed in a way temporarily is an opportunity for us to rethink that. And maybe we need to realize and go back to scripture and, and, and see that actually the going element is emphasized way more than the inviting element. Neil Cole in his book said that church has become a religious event that takes place once a week rather than a spiritual family on mission together. The problem with the church is that we are very, very comfortable kind of like with what we have going on and we've made everything about this Sunday morning thing. This is church. When we go to church, it's, it's 11 o'clock on Sunday morning, 11.30, whatever the case may be. And our goal is to get people here. The primary metric by which we gauge our success Right? How many, how many people do we have? How many chairs are filled on Sunday morning? Maybe now it's like, how many YouTube watch? I, I don't know about Pastor Dave, but I always go on YouTube on Monday morning just to be like, how many views did we have? You know, are people coming and checking out our service? Because that's the main thing. But still, the underlying thinking is success means we get warm bodies into what we're doing on Sunday morning. But maybe we need to, re to rethink what church is about, and this idea of being sentenced. And I think that if we look to the scripture, what do we realize? We realize that repeatedly, all the major metaphors that the Bible uses for being on mission all imply sending, and there's very little inviting happening. It seems that from a biblical perspective and the way God does things, is he doesn't stay comfortable in heaven and say, you know what, right? I'm gonna send you the invite so you people come to me. There's some of that. There's some of that. You must come to Jesus. But isn't the, isn't the incarnation the opposite? That God reaches out to us? So he comes to us. He leaves where he's comfortable. He leaves his space to approach us. That's what the incarnation is about. It's not God saying, you become like me and come here. But the incarnation is God saying, I'm going to become like you and go hang out where you are. That's the incarnation. So there's this whole movement, the incarnational church movement, which de-emphasizes getting people into the pew on Sunday morning and instead emphasizes that the church is, is a sent organization. In other words, to embrace the sentence means that the goal at the end of the day is not just getting people to where we are, but it's taking church to 
where the people are. I think that this is so clear in scripture, but we oftentimes miss it. John chapter one, verse 14, and 15, uh, yeah, 14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So missional, again, I want us to understand what missional is properly so that we don't immediately reject it outright as being too awkward, too hard, too difficult. So when we're talking about this sentence, what exactly do I mean? I think that the best kind of phrase to, to define it would be faithful presence. Faithful presence. The church is called to being faithfully present, which means not only do we have a, an attitude of in, invitation, but we show a, a Christ-like way of being willing to meet people where they're at and to go to where the people are. So faithful presence means showing up. Showing up in someone's life, showing up at someone's home, showing up at a funeral. It means physically being near to people who are in need or people that we are being called to reach out to. Faithful presence means that not only do we, do we seek to be a good friend to somebody, uh, somebody outside the church, but that we would be willing to go the distance and go way beyond kind of like what is uh, considered normal in terms of our willingness to sacrifice ourselves on, the, on behalf of other people. And again, Pastor John, I think, is a, is a great example of this, as I'm sure uh, Pastor David would, would agree with. The degree to which he will go out of his way to bless somebody is just kind of mind-blowing at times. And, but that's what we're called to, and that's part of what faithful presence is about, is just straight up being a really, really good friend. I, I love what Michael Frost said in his, he had a book about being missional. He said that our lives ought to be questionable. Your life ought to be questionable. What do I mean by that? Not because not you're doing shady things, um, but rather it's questionable in the sense that when I see something, it causes me to ask questions because your, your life is, is um, there's, a, there's such a grace and a, like a mind-blowing, um, I can't explain it. There's something about you and your grace and your love and your generosity that like defies explanation. It causes me to ask questions. That, that's part of what faithful presence is about. Faithful presence is about being willing to be unimportant at an event or in a group. So oftentimes, you know, as a pastor, wherever I show up, I get the honor of being treated as, like Pastor Dave gave me a very kind introduction. When I show up, it's like I feel kind of important because I'm respected. But that's not what I think we're called to. We're called to be willing to be unimportant. We're, willing to, we're called to be willing to show up in a place where we might not be recognized, but where, where we have to endure the, the awkwardness of being a marginal participant. And yet the faithful presence means, even though I'm not going to be important in this setting, I'll show up anyway. So kind of an example of this, uh, in the early days when we were planting City Grace Church, we were, as, we were trying to be as missional as we could. And so they blessed us by, by giving like 10, 20 hours a week of our job was just to go out and to be uh, in people's lives to be friends with people and, and so we could do whatever whatever we wanted so my partner at the time uh, Steve he joined this atheist book club and he would just show up at the atheist book club and try to meet people that way me you know having grown up in in Japan I'm actually a pretty mean table tennis player <laughs> at least I thought I was and so I found this um, ping pong club in um, in lower Manhattan kind of like in the financial district near near Chinatown and I would just go and it was awful because 
I was so bad compared to the, the people that were at this club on a regular basis. Some of them were like kind of almost at the point where they're Olympic level, um, Olympic level uh, ping pong table tennis players. But what does faithful presence means? You know what? I might be unimportant here. I might, no one's looking to me. You know, they're not giving me any kind of credit for showing up, but I'll just go and I'll just be present. And I, I'll be willing to endure the discomfort of being unimportant because I know that when I show up, I'm bringing God to these people. And when I show up, God is showing up. And that somehow, if I'm here long enough, an opportunity might come, a relationship might develop, or God might open a door in which you have an ability to be able to speak into people's life. And you'll have earned that ability because you've been showing up and they realize, wow, this is a person who cares. This is a person who's serious. And this is a person who not only is talking the talk, but they're living the walk. Do you see what I'm saying? It's, it's, it's hard. And I think it's exactly what Jesus did. It's exactly what he did. He showed up and he was willing to be unimportant. He was a slave. He was poor, right? He, he wasn't born in a palace. He was born in a, in a, in a, in a cradle or in a manger. Um, he was willing to be of low rank. He was willing to be, quote unquote, common person because he just wanted to be present to us. And therefore, he became accessible. That's part of what faithful presence is about. So I had, that, that's the other thing, right? So the two, you'll have to invite me back if you want the third one, because we're running out of time. So, so we're rethinking church, and I want to encourage you, I want to leave you with that. Missional, not just missions, and rethinking the going, not just the inviting. And for, I encourage this church, I encourage Mosaic to think about your community from this missional lens and ask the question, where is God inviting us or calling us to show up, to be faithfully present? Not to come in with an agenda, not to come in to try to fix things, but to come in just with the knowledge that when you show up, you're bringing God into that place and to look for the opportunities. So friends, we are in a season where it is getting really, really cold, and all the leaves are falling off the trees. And when you go into the forest in the wintertime, it looks like everything is dead, right? The trees are bare, it's dry, it's cold, there's going to be snow. It seems like everything is shut down. And in a way, that's kind of what church feels like. It feels like we've shut down. But here's the interesting thing, is that those trees that look like they're dead, it's actually during the winter months that they're really, really busy. They're slowing their hibernation down on a cellular level. The, the cells within the tree trunks are, are adjusting in order to be able to handle the cold weather. And there's a production of sugar that is happening. You can't see it. The tree looks dead, right? But all this good, God is doing all this good stuff in the tree so that the second it begins to warm up in March, you know what happens? That, that sap within the tree is overflowing. That's why it's in March that if you want to collect maple syrup, you, you tap the tree in March and you're just going to get gallons and gallons of tree sap because God has been doing that work in the tree that looked dead on the outside during the winter. It's been doing all that work and God is preparing it for a season of unbelievable fruitfulness and vibrancy. And a single maple tree, after having appeared to be dormant all winter long, can produce like 10 to 20 gallons of tree sap, and it looked dead. And so that's my, that's my prayer for the church during this time, is maybe, you know, there's not a lot of people here. Maybe we've had to shut some ministries, ministries down. We've had to take some rest. We have to take a break, focus on taking people, care of people who are sick. And it looks like things have shut down. 
But this is a season in which God's preparing the church for a new level of fruitfulness, a new level of usefulness, so that as things warm up after the winter season ends, that there will be a season of unprecedented mission and usefulness to God. So I'm going to pray, and I, I would just invite you, I want to invite you right now, wherever you are, if you're here in person or if you're um, at home and you're watching on YouTube, that you would think, Lord, that you'd pray this with me, Lord, where is it that you are calling me to be on mission? How are you calling me to change my perspective? You're reorienting what my life is about. And perhaps you think, you know what, you're pretty comfortable, you're pretty wealthy, you're, you're pretty independent. Jesus wants to challenge you. He wants to say, you know what, you don't, you don't realize, apart from me, you are poor, you are blind, and you are naked. But open the door, he says, open the door of your heart, and I will come in, and I will pour out such abundance on you, such blessing on you, that you'll realize that it's not your wealth that makes you rich. It's knowing Jesus. It's knowing his love. It's knowing God's love. It's knowing his power. So I invite you, ask. Ask God, Lord, what does embracing this missional posture look like? Help me to be open to that. Lord, speak, speak, God. Lord, I pray for every person here. I pray for Mosaic Church that during this season that you are doing something new. You're pruning, you're preparing this church for a new season of fruitfulness, a new season of mission a season of being useful to you, Lord, useful for your purposes. Lord, I pray for you to come in power and fill every heart, for every person to know your love, to know your grace, and to know your power. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.